0: Welcome to the Collective Leadership Podcast. This is a place for leaders to discover, collaborate, and prepare together for God's work in the world. As leaders and churches, we're living in challenging and uncharted territory with the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Kim Balenzuela, and today, Kelvin Walker, District Superintendent of the Metro District, and I have a special guest, Rev. Dr. Stephen Coe. Dr. Ko is a pastor at one of our own Metro District churches, New York Chinese Alliance Church and Three Stone Church. He is a formal medical officer of the CDC. We've invited Dr. Ko here to share with us about how our church can thrive in the midst of these challenging times and take a pastoral response of care and service to our communities as they navigate great fear and uncertainty ahead. Thank you, Dr. Ko. It is great to be with you today. I'm so glad that you're you're here to join us uh, over Zoom, and that we can still use our technology in order to get the word and message out to our churches about our current times and how how our church can prepare to respond. So, thank you, thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today.
2: You know, I'm so glad that you're with us today, Steve. Kim, thank you for arranging this. I do believe that we, as a district, have a unique position to have someone in the district who is not only uh, a pastor, but also as a medical professional, that has been very, very helpful to us because it helps us to be able to, to navigate this with the balance of how do we pay attention to what needs to be paid attention to from a medical and a societal perspective, but also how do we still remain the church, be the church, live out the calling of the church, and minister as the church should minister during this pandemic. And so having someone who has both perspectives has been very helpful to us in the district office as we've been in contact with our official workers. And let me just take this moment to say to each and every one of our official workers, uh, we are so grateful for you. We are so proud of you. This changes uh, not just daily. It seems like in the past few days, it's hour by hour. And you have risen to the occasion. You are taking the charge ahead to make sure that you adjust accordingly, but that you also stay in contact with the people that you minister to in your churches. And hearing stories of different opportunities that God has given in order to reach others for Christ. Those who would not necessarily even know about the church or be connected to the church are now turning to the church for comfort, for peace for answers. And uh, you're rising to the occasion. And I just want to say thank you. And then one more thing. Uh, We absolutely know and we are clear in the fact that God has not given his people a spirit of fear, but he's given his people a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. But the reality is that there are a lot of emotions that are going on and going around right now. And so let me also encourage you as official workers not to downplay those emotions that people have, because people really do need a place to process their emotions. They need a place to safely express their fear and their anxiety around this. So let's not downplay those emotions, let's validate those emotions. Let's even, as we are working with people, be transparent about our own emotions around this. But in the transparency and in the validation of those emotions, let's continue to point people to Jesus because he is the one who can walk with us and is walking with us through this. And ultimately he's the one who brings healing to those who are brokenhearted over this pandemic. So I just wanted to encourage you all with that and say thank you for the way that you are taking the charge and being the church during this time.
0: Thank you, Kelvin, for that word. I appreciate that you that you mentioned on emotions and targeted emotions and, and Steve I would love to hear from you as far as how how the medical community and how as a society they're addressing this difference between our emotions responding to what we're seeing on the news and around us and yet also living in the reality of of what we are encountering. So what is your perspective on on how our emotions are heightened or, or getting us into a position of fear in light of what's happening around us?
1: Yeah, wonderful question, Kim. And it's true, we are in a new era. Uh, we're in a pandemic. Uh, pandemic comes from the Greek word pandemos. Demos meaning population and pan uh, with the connotation of everyone. So pandemic is really the the, the concept that the whole world's population Uh, is essentially gonna be exposed to this COVID-19. And with that uh, definition, it's not surprising that many people would be given to fear and even racism and xenophobia. I think it's very important uh, to look at spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical healing in a time of crisis such as this. Mm. Uh, As Christians in particular, we're in a unique position because our faith dictates the way we live our lives. And so we uh, don't need to live in fear, as Reverend Walker was saying. Instead, we can live by faith and act in love. Mm.
0: So when you know, the church is looking at responding about meeting people where they're in their emotions of for healing and social emotional healing, the social distancing impacts that because people feel isolated from each other. So why is the social distancing, the restrictions on the gatherings, like why are they so critical at this time when our our heart desire or what we feel is that we want to draw near to people? And so how navigate us through kind of that conflicting desire there that we recognize that the medical field and, and our government institutions are calling us for distancing ourselves from people, even groups of 10 you know, even, even small groups within um, our communities, but yet our social and emotional needs are calling for us to come closer to people. And so how do we kind of live in that conflicted space?
1: Wonderful question. And let's first start by defining social distancing. It's a term that public health officials use to uh, look at conscious efforts to reduce close contact between individuals. So when novel viruses enter communities for the first time, they have significant potential to cause harm. Our bodies have not yet developed immunity to these organisms, and the medical community has not had time to create pharmacologic interventions like medications or vaccines. And so these novel viruses pose a grave threat to vulnerable populations. In fact, COVID-19 is highly transmissible with an R-naught estimated between two and three. That means that for every infected person, they'll likely spread the virus to two or three other individuals. And although only a few people are infected initially, COVID-19 can spread among populations with brutal effectiveness. If you look at Italy, a few initial cases rapidly developed into thousands within a couple weeks. And such exponential growth can quickly overwhelm healthcare systems, resulting in an inability to treat the infected, as well as those with other illnesses. So social distancing removes the critical ingredient in transmission, human vectors. By scaling back the number of times we meet and congregate, we then withhold opportunities for COVID-19 to infect others. The CDC defines social distancing as remaining out of congregant settings, avoiding mass gatherings, and maintaining a distance of approximately six feet from others when possible. That distance implies that individuals refrain from hugs, kisses, and handshakes. And keeping a safe distance becomes increasingly essential for those that are symptomatic with cough, fever, or sneezing. You know, ultimately, the goal of social distancing is to flatten the curve of COVID 19 infection. By doing so, we slow the spread of disease, resulting in fewer infections. Less individuals who succumb to COVID 19 translates to a smaller number of deaths and less stress on the medical system. In the current global pandemic, places where aggressive social distancing were enacted resulted in significantly fewer hospitalizations and mortality. This was the case for Hong Kong, Singapore, and Guangzhou. And it's our hope that that will be the case for America as well. So, you know, your question, Kim, in regards to uh, reconciling the theological ramifications of our actions is a good one. While social distancing has a direct effect on the transmission of disease, It would seem, at first glance, that it's in direct opposition to the gospel. In Acts 2.42, the actions of the early church, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So how can we reconcile the need for social distancing with the call to fellowship? In moments of suffering, panic, and crisis, communion with saints is needed most. And these are the times where believers should draw near, rather than intentionally moving away from one another. You know, if you look at Genesis 22, 1-2, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. The story is entirely counterintuitive. There's no other account like it in the Old Testament. How can a merciful father slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love demand such a diabolical act from a faithful servant? For Abraham, the sacrifice was personal and tangible. It involved the son he loved so clearly. But with COVID-19, the sacrifice of social distancing is intangible. It involves a virus we cannot see, and the impact is often impersonable, saving the lives of those we do not necessarily know. When Abraham offers his son Isaac as a living sacrifice, he demonstrates a love for God beyond measure. But when we sacrifice fellowship for the sake of others, we love our neighbors as ourselves. Hmm. Abraham's sacrifice fulfills the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But our sacrifice demonstrates that we love our neighbor as ourselves. Kim, if you're Mm. young and healthy, the choice is really one of sacrifice. For these, COVID-19 infection is rare and typically mild. But for those above 80, a death rate around 15% would result in a significant proportion of the population passing away if they contracted COVID-19. The decision to forego participation in life-giving fellowship leads directly to the preservation of life for seniors. Mm-hmm. The discipline of isolation increases the odds of their well-being.
2: So this, the choice to, uh, I'll use this word, comply with recommendations for social distancing really comes down to having a heart of sacrifice for the sake of the other. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's exactly right.
1: That even though a majority of our population, in particular young infants and children, they are not uh, infected by COVID-19. In fact, for most diseases, there's a U-shaped curve with the most vulnerable identified as the young and elderly. And both of these populations typically suffer significant illness and death. But yet for COVID-19, it's very unique in sparing those infants and children. While the impact of COVID-19 infection among individuals below 60 is relatively mild, that morbidity and mortality for the elderly are significantly higher. So by heeding the recommendations for social distancing, we're not only caring for the most vulnerable, but also reducing the risk of infected persons among us. Hmm.
0: It's really an amazing analogy that you gave through the Sermon of a Sacrifice that, mm-hmm. that Abraham made and just one that, that is hard for us to relate to, I think, especially in the Western church. And so the way in which it's impacting us now is really testing that place of sacrifice. And are we willing to do church differently and, and to see our church beyond the Sunday worship services? And so if we were to get really you know, practical in this, where the church says, yes, I, I want to take up that sacrifice. We do not want to fellowship. We want to honor or comply with the recommendations of social distancing and, and, and ceasing our fellowship of interaction. But how do we still provide ministry to our people? And, and what are some of the examples with technology and even without technology? Because some of our churches are grappling with, we're not prepared to, to utilize technology to its full extent. But what are some of those opportunities, both from Kelvin and Steve, that you're seeing that you can recommend our churches put into place?
2: Maybe before Steve, before you, um, before you jump in and answer the question, can I, Kim, is it all right if I, I, I reframe that question, uh, just because what you've said really does speak to the particular or what I'm finding to be the current view in the Western Church and the American Church in particular of well how do i you know since i can't fellowship what do i do and i think as i'm thinking through this praying through this talking to different people i think the challenge that the lord is giving us is not that you can't fellowship but maybe now is the time to think of fellowship in a different way when you when you think about the the early church And the church had to scatter. They didn't forsake fellowship, but fellowship had to happen in a different way. And I I think this is a good opportunity for us as the body of Christ to still say, oh, no, we're not not forsaking the fellowshipping together of the saints. We are just learning to fellowship in a different way because uh, the spirit of God is leading in a different way. And so that's sort of how I'd like to reframe the question, if that's okay, and just say, Dr. Coe, what are, what are some, of the, some of the ideas of being able to fellowship differently in a time where we've never walked this way before? Wonderful. And I think, uh, if I may,
1: if we embrace the sacrifice of social distancing with fidelity of love, Instead of fear of contagion, then we begin to see the very face of God. You know, adherence to social distancing guidelines can certainly result from apprehension. However, the motivation of love changes our very outlook from one of selfishness to selflessness. Our priority is no longer in protecting ourselves. Indeed, it is the health and well-being of others loving our neighbors And so, you know, before I answer that question in detail, I just want to say that rarely does a normal, healthy person have the opportunity to save the lives of others through sacrifices within our daily lives. Yet right here, right now, each of us has just that opportunity. By embracing social distancing measures in your very life, whether it's canceling a social event, staying away from a mass gathering, or changing the way we interact with people, we can save lives of the vulnerable and the elderly. Mm. So, you know, in particular, if we go into the nuances, there are very tangible ways that we can love, we can care. Uh, these include caring for the sick, uh, whether they are infected with COVID 19 or other chronic diseases. It can involve providing shelter for those without a home. Recently, just in the last two days, uh, many colleges and universities have not only moved to online models, but they've also, unfortunately, closed their dorms and housing. And while I understand the reasoning why, this has left a majority of students without housing. It's a particularly difficult situation for a school like NYU, Mm -hmm. where there's an estimated 18,000 international students. Wow. So, you yes. know, that's really too much for any one church to handle, but the collective church can help in tremendous ways. In addition, secondary to federal and state bans, entire industries have come to a screeching halt, and we can support those individuals whose livelihood depends on these jobs, those in, you know, the transportation industry, the, the hotel mm-hmm. industry, et cetera. I think recently uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin estimated that COVID-19 could lead to a 20% unemployment rate. Yeah, I just saw that. Yes. And so we can be the hands and the feet and the voice of Christ to those that are hurting spiritually, but also financially as well. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And so in these harrowing times, individuals, I believe, need hope more than ever. Ultimately, this hope will not come from a financial stimulus package or even pharmacologic interventions for COVID-19. Instead, it will come from faith in a savior that reigns over illness, disease, and even death. Mm. Hebrews 6.19 exhorts us, uh, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And so, uh, you know, I think you can get into uh, very detailed areas of where we can be creative as a church and interacting and really fellowshipping as a community. If I may, uh, millennials are uh, perhaps best defined by social media. It's their preferred choice of communication with, I think, 90% owning smartphones and 85% having social media profiles. They're they're very suspicious of institutions. They're highly networked to friends. The youngest generation, the so-called Gen Z, goes even further because they grew up during the birth of the iPhone. An astounding 50% say they're constantly online 24-7. And so in, in this global pandemic, the next generation can help us lead the way in fellowship and worship. They're adept at live Streaming, looking at online content almost all the time, and interacting from afar. They can help our churches lean in to fellowship virtually. Worship services, it's already starting, can be live streamed to our laptops and smartphones. Small groups can meet virtually through Zoom or Google Hangouts. Uh, Visitations and check-ins can be made with WhatsApp and Line. Mm -hmm. It's ironic that none of this would have been possible even 30 years ago. Uh, this past week, we, uh, as New York Chinese Alliance Church in Three Stone, held our typical Sunday morning prayer meetings online and live. We had twice as many attendees uh, <laughs> online as, as we have ever experienced live and in the church.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: And it makes right. me wonder, Reverend Walker and Kim, if we should even consider transitioning <laughs> to these new models you know, <laughs> after the pandemic is over. You know, we can check up on the ill and the lonely and the furloughed with a click of FaceTime. We can provide financial relief via Venmo. We can order groceries for the elderly through Fresh Direct
2: or Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you both have other ideas. <laughs> well, yeah, I was, you know, just as we were thinking and praying this morning as a district uh, superintendent's cabinet, you know, was in praying, it occurred to me this is not the First time that there's been a, a pandemic situation. However, it is the first time that we're living in the era that we're that we're in, where we can still be in the kind of connection and fellowship that we that we can be. I was talking to a number of our pastors yesterday, and you know, it was interesting to hear uh, the response from several of them saying it's been one of the first times that their congregation has kept them abreast of what's going on with different people in the congregation because of the connection possibilities with um, with social media. People in the congregation themselves are stepping up and saying, hey, I reached out to so-and-so, just want to make you aware of what's going on with them. So the time for the body of Christ to really take on this idea that peter talks about uh when he says that we are royal priesthood the priesthood of the believers rising up and saying we are called to minister to one another it has been has been great and so so those kinds of opportunities to stay connected that way you you brought up the the virtual small group and the virtual prayer meetings those are rising up all over the place i was talking to another pastor who was saying that they are arranging the early morning Uh, conference calls for prayer time for people who just want to connect and pray. And, you know, prayer requests on during online services while while they may come in as people chat what those requests are, they can't always be addressed during that time. And so, you know, phone calls that people can, you know, phone numbers people can dial into and have those prayer requests addressed are great Great opportunities. You, you you gave some great suggestions on how we can make sure that people are cared for when it comes to making sure that they're fed home delivery of groceries. This never would have been the case, you know, like you said, even 30, 40 years ago. And uh, so we, we have opportunity to still be the church and minister to one another in the midst of all of this.
0: Absolutely. I've also been encouraged by even some of our own Metro District uh, kids ministry workers who are opening Mm up times for them to teach, you know, kids ministry lessons to families and children um, as part of their churches. Mm -hmm. And so it's extending not just, you know, for our adults to log in um, online and and through technology, but also for our children to still receive, you know, a life-giving message and encouragement and hope since they're greatly, greatly impacted by this as well.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll mention... Ironically, social distancing measures give us the gift of time. And too exactly. often our busy yes, lives, <laughs> that's right. Too often our busy lives leave us little margin for God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, social distancing takes away the activities, interests, and pursuits that often rule our lives. And so I think it's a unique opportunity to redeem this precious commodity of time. Instead of worrying and being laden with fear, we can spend time in the word of God. We can make a commitment to prayer and communion, and we can be still and experience his presence. Mm-hmm. And just like you both said, we can find creative ways to fellowship with our families, our friends, and fellow Christians. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. One of the things that has been interesting, and I wonder what your perspective is this regarding the opportunities for our churches in this time, and, and really to capitalize on time, is that so often as we're working with our churches, and especially as we're doing various developmental assessments, and particularly the development assessment we do through PEAK, we often find that churches have a very high regard and emphasis on their Sunday worship gathering. But yet areas of discipleship and areas of of outreach and really the ministry of the church beyond the worship, the Sunday worship gathering, sometimes are hard to find time to leverage or to find ways and opportunities to invest in the community. And so I do see this as an opportunity where we've kind of taken away that Sunday worship gathering and in the normal formalities of it that we go about on a weekly basis And it's giving us the opportunity to really invest ourselves, our energy, our mindsets into what do our people need on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. And so for that, I'm grateful. And I'm interested to see how this has long-term impact on our churches.
2: Yeah, I I agree with you, Kim. I don't think we're going to return to church as usual after this. I think the, the impact on the church when it comes to discipleship and helping people grow in Christ, stay connected to Christ, stay connected to one another, I think it's going to have a lasting impact that is going to change the trajectory of how we do ministry and how we lean in to helping people develop and grow in their walk with Jesus.
0: Yes, and that is a very specific way in which God is giving us an opportunity to address something that has gone, not to say neglected, but to say under the radar, something that that we need the time and the space in order to say this matters and how we disciple our people is of utmost importance. Yeah. Yeah. One of the ways in which our churches are continuing to ask questions that I would love to hear your feedback specifically from uh, Stephen is how does a church respond to a positive case of COVID-19 or from someone who suspects that they have COVID-19 Some of our churches are really grappling with how do they show loving care? To what extent does the news need to be spread if that person was in contact within the community, within uh, that specific time frame? And so what recommendations would you make to a church if it's grappling with how do we handle this news if we have a confirmed case within our congregations?
1: Yeah, this is a really tough issue And the reality is that many churches likely have cases that are unidentified already. There's really been a lack of testing in the last several weeks. And, uh, you know, you could argue that that's potentially why we're in the predicament that we are right now. Uh, Regardless of that, I think, first of all, we should respect the privacy safety and well-being of our congregational members. Uh, HIPAA laws were enacted really to protect individuals from judgment, from guilt and shame. And especially with the heightened stigma of infection, we should be really careful not to share confidential information, mm-hmm. to gossip or spread rumors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Leviticus 1916 exhorts us with the following for a reason. You should not go around spreading false rumors against others. Don't do anything that would put your neighbor's life in danger. And so I think, you know, first of all, we just must be very careful not to discriminate or fall into the trap of racism and xenophobia that you see so rampant on social media and news media today. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I believe that instead we should care for these individuals with the grace, mercy, and love of Christ for those that are relatively healthy and maybe abiding by quarantines you know we can help deliver groceries <laughs> like i mentioned uh, either in person or through fresh Director or amazon we can help buy other necessities like medications and toiletries but others that may suffer more significant morbidity and become very ill for these we can ensure that they receive the appropriate level of health care we can help link our congregations to the appropriate care and treatment potentially even hospitalizations and you know we we can then lift these individuals up to the great physician the reality is we we don't know a lot about care and treatment right now like i was saying earlier we don't have a lot of tools in our arsenal it's true that vaccines are being developed and there's some medications such as remdesivir that are, are still in clinical trials. But right now we are just treating symptoms, especially uh, when somebody comes in the hospital and they're elderly. So I think as a church, one of the best things we can do is pray and follow the prayer faith from James 5, 14, 16. I love it because we learn from there that, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up again. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven and therefore confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, that doesn't mean that In every instance, in every illness that someone will be healed, that nobody will die. But it does mean that we have faith that God is still sovereign over coronavirus. And in these instances where individuals within our congregations are affected and infected, we uh, treat the situation with uh, grace and mercy and love.
2: Hmm. Dr. Cole, you have... um... At One of your interviews mentioned that, you know, sometimes the, those who have coronavirus are treated like modern day lepers. And if I'm hearing you correctly, part of what you're saying is here is an opportunity for us to reach out to and touch those who um, have been infected in a way that, that, that represents and shows Christ's love by protecting their dignity by protecting their privacy, by protecting just their very lives in, you know, and at the same time, making sure that we're taking the proper precautions to let those in the church become aware of, you know, Hey, there are some things that we need to do because there has been a case that is here in our congregation. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That's exactly right. That there must be a balance and
1: it's, uh, exquisitely difficult, uh, because of the real morbidity and mortality, especially among some populations. So it's reasonable to feel those emotions, but yet we cannot allow them to rule us. And so if there is a suspected case or a confirmed infection, then we need to, as you mentioned, treat uh, these individuals with dignity. We need to take the proper precautions to protect our congregations and leadership. But at the same time, we can extend our hand in love. That doesn't necessarily mean that we come in close contact with them, but there are creative ways that we can demonstrate the love of Christ. In the end, during, I think, one of those podcasts that you mentioned, I I told the story about Jesus and the lepers. And I think what is always Fascinating to me is that he could have healed the leper without touch, but yet he touched the leper purposefully. He modeled that behavior for each one of us, really, even in spite of ritual defilement and uh, potential contagion to himself. But he did that so that in times such as these, with coronavirus, you know, potentially a modern day
2: leprosy, we might act in the same way. And what then, so then what would in, you know, you mentioned also taking proper precautions. What are some steps that can a, can a church take to notify the congregation in a way that doesn't create paranoia, but says, hey, this has happened. This is one of the things that we are going to do to make sure that the, the congregation is also safe.
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful question. You know, I I think first and foremost, uh, you know, going back to the privacy and the HIPAA, you know, potentially not saying the name of the individual, but definitely contacting those that would be affected. You know, I think if there is a positive case, the public health department, no matter if you're in New Jersey in New York State or New York City, they will provide uh, what we call contact tracing and go back several steps to see who potentially has been exposed. So they they will really walk individuals through this process. I think the best thing in these scenarios is to adhere to their recommendations and guidelines, and that will go a long way in protecting our communities. I think there is a natural tendency to uh, act on our own, right? Especially if it's somebody that's a potential contact or a potential exposure to another person that was exposed. You know, you can keep going yes. down this rabbit trail, right, right Reverend Walker? Yeah. But I think in those times, we need to uh, move away from the fear, right, mm-hmm. and uh, allow the experts. You know, these are the, the medical doctors, the healthcare providers, and the, the public health officials. To give us the recommendations and then heed them, yeah. uh, because if we keep going down this rabbit trail, it will really consume our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've been speaking against this whole time.
0: <laughs> okay. Yes, I appreciate that you that you made that distinction as far as how we respond in, in accordance with what the medical. Professionals are are declaring for contacts if you have a confirmed case, and that's important for our churches to, to be aware of, that there are proper procedures, but yet to steer clear of the spirit of concern and fear when there's not been a confirmed case. And I think that's a clear distinction for our churches to make and the leadership that we have to recognize the difference between the two.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And in particular, uh, to go even a step further, there's a wonderful article on Christianity today, just in regards to churches and particular nuanced steps they can take, not only for worship, but for individuals that are, uh, you know, have suspected or confirmed cases. So, you know, I'd refer not only to uh, a few of these articles, but also to the CDC website, there's just a uh, whole host of uh, articles and information, you know, for the general public, for community and faith-based institutions, and even in regards to travel recommendations as well.
0: Thank you for directing us to those resources. That's something we we do want to get into the hands and and point people to that we, they would go to as their first resource, rather than some of the news sources or some of the things <laughs> circulating online.
2: Right. And we, you know, we are working in the district office to make sure that there is a central place where our official workers and leaders can go to for those resources. And so we will include that article that you've just mentioned from uh, Christianity Today and also the link to the CDC in that spot. And we'll, you know, as that develops, we will let you know in the district where to go to. Most likely it'll be on our website with a link, but we are working on that now.
0: Yes, those things will be available um, at the time this podcast releases, so you'll be available to go to metrocma.org backslash COVID-19. Well, thank you both for being with us. I recognize that our time is running short, but I would love to just see the final remark from you, a word of encouragement to our churches as they continue to navigate this, and I believe none of us are quite sure uh, how long we'll be in this position, and so what word of encouragement would you and, and you also, Kelvin, give?
2: I'll I'll defer to Reverend Walker first. Okay. Uh, I guess the word of encouragement that I would give to our official workers is that we love you. We're praying for you. We are in contact with someone in leadership from your church to find out how each of your churches are doing, and we're standing with you. And though you have gotten word that the district office has taken the step to work remotely, until at minimum March 30th, that does not mean we're not available to you. You email us, you call us, you reach out to us on social media. Uh, We are here for you.
0: Thank you, Kelvin.
1: And I will just close with uh, encouragement from Isaiah 41.10, as we lift up our church, city, country, and world in prayer. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous
2: hand. Mm. Yeah, amen.
0: Yes, very good word. Well, thank you uh, Dr. Koh so much for being with us and we look forward to seeing you on the other side of this COVID-19 in person.
1: (laughs) Thank you for your time, it's been a pleasure. Amen,
2: God bless you.
0: Thank you.